Kicking off hour number two here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Bobby said you got a tidbit about longs. You want to get in there? Well, you and I both got uh, tagged on this post on X from Corey Cash and Calhoun. They said uh, they went to longs not by choice once on their way to a UT football game. Radiator on our Jeep blew up at the light right there. Those guys fed us, gave us water to put in our new radiator, all for free. Good people. And that's what I would say. That's what I'm going to miss about them, too, was when COVID hit, we were in Florida, and we had prescriptions for myself and for my daughter, and we decided we were just going to stay at our house down there and just ride it out for a while, but we didn't have our meds. And I called them, and they were like, we'll ship them to you. Don't worry about it. It's like that would never happen at CVS or Walgreens or anywhere else. It's that So it's... It's like you said, time marches on. It's kind of the passing of something that we probably won't see the likes of again. It's kind of sad in that regard. Yeah. Good people. Yeah. It is sad. So. All right, let's kick off hour number two with some stories from the night before you might have missed. Sam, what do you got? Thank you, John. Uh, 32 minutes ago, Pucks Tawny Phil didn't see a shadow. Yes. We got an early spring. That's the first headline. All right. um, That damn groundhog doesn't know. (laughs) He doesn't know. We, we we lose we lose our 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 local our locally family owned pharmacies, but we keep we keep up with the tradition of this damn groundhog. Mm-hmm. Make up our mind: is time going to march on and we're going to do new things? Amen. How do they spot does, does Punsatani Phil have a sponsor yet? Oh, I'm sure. He's still Punsatani Phil. He's not Punsatani Phil. Brought to you by the steel mill or whatever <laughs> is up there. I mean, you know, insert Heinz ketchup or whatever. So early spring. All right, early spring. Um, Can't wait to complain in March when it's 90 degrees. (laughs) Some NFL news. uh, The last head coaching hire of the cycle, uh, the commanders have gone and gotten Dan Quinn. Uh, This one, to me, is a little bit underwhelming. I thought that the commander's job would probably be one of the more attractive ones and maybe one of the the first jobs off the market. And it kind of seems like the commanders kind of get their last choice of of the litter. Such a bad choice, in my opinion, but whatever. He was a hot name last year whenever he kind of, you know, revitalized that Dallas defense. I don't think people feel the same way about him this year. However, just to be fair, he didn't go to a Super Bowl. He was up 28-3. to I mean, he lost the Super Bowl. And we kind of blame him for it, and we blame Shanahan for it. We kind of blame both of them. Matt Ryan taking a terrible sack is kind of on Matt Ryan, too. But, like, he was up 28-3 to in a Super Bowl. There are worse coaches to hire. I do think he kind of gets a little bit of a an unfair rap when it comes to that. Although, I, I really thought his records were better in Atlanta. I thought he had some 13 and threes in there, like the year they went to the Super Bowl. His best year was 11 and five. That kind of surprises me. Eight and eight, 11 and five, 10 and six, and then seven and nine, seven and nine, 0 oh and five. So, Eesh. not uh, not great. No, not great. Not good. But I don't think that necessarily means he's going to be a failure in Washington. I'm a little surprised that's who they went with, though. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you thought they were going to make a big splash and. I guess they were trying to with one of the coordinators, but offensive coordinators, one of the young guys, but they both said no. So then they're like, okay, I guess Dan Quinn. I thought it made sense for Vrabel or Belichick to end up there just because they are name coaches. Dan Quinn's a name, but in the bad way. 
everyone kind of laughed at this hire. You hire Belichick, people be like, okay, a little bit old, but we'll see. And if you hire Vrabel, it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. He's a star coach. Quinn, everyone just kind of laughed at him. That makes me feel bad for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some more SEC baseball news here. The SEC announced yesterday uh, that all 16 teams will participate in uh, the postseason tournament, in the SEC tournament. Boo! It will turn into single elimination beginning in 2025. The whole thing's going to be single elimination? Mm-hmm. Ugh, I don't like that. Really? I like it a lot. I think it's better in terms of... You should be allowed to lose one game. It's baseball. Baseball's not a single elimination sport, in my opinion. Even like in the Little League level, you get double elimination usually. You get a chance to get hot and come out of the loser's bracket. At least I did, you know, as a kid. I assume they still do loser's brackets. Now, sometimes those tournaments end up at, you know, take it on weekend and lasting forever because you got to get in 50 games. I get that, too. I think that's why. Maybe Saving the, kids' arms and stuff like that. Yeah, like, maybe from the SEC's perspective and from Tennessee's perspective, maybe actually it is better just to be like, hey, yeah, lose, go home, get ready, get your rotation, your bullpen set, and go try to win in the actual postseason. So from that perspective, Sam, I think you're right. But just for the – the Hoover experience, single elimination doesn't feel doesn't feel right. Sure. If you if you want to win the SEC title. Bob, your thoughts? I'm okay with it being one loss, to okay. be honest with you. Um I just think you bring up some good points. Um I'm I'm sure as a participating team and some of those in the lower rungs of the conference they'd probably love to have it as double elimination i think from a viewing perspective it simplifies it a little too that's the other thing yeah from a consumer standpoint you're right it was a little confusing to be like is this one a single elimination then it's back to double then it's back to single although i will say i went to hoover when when tennessee won it you know with the best team ever but i can't imagine driving from a you know further away knowing that you might get there and only get to see one game. Because a lot of people like would wait and hold off. And like, okay, when, when we make it to the double elimination portion, we'll go down there because we're guaranteed to at least play a couple games or, or get to Saturday. Now, I don't know how you would justify traveling down there knowing that you might just have one game and turn around and come back. I guess that is fair, yeah. I mean, I know it's the same for the SEC basketball tournament and all that. I get sure. that, but yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I can't really imagine traveling for the SEC basketball tournament if it wasn't two hours away. Sure. Or unless you're like a favorite. I went to Tampa, you know, whenever we had Chandler and all that, but you kind of anticipated you are going to make a deep run in that one with the way the bracket was set up. Anyways. Some more tough news in college baseball. Uh, Mike Martin, legendary Florida State head coach, has passed away at age 79. Uh, was the head coach of Florida State for 40 years. Made it to the NCAA tournament all 40 years. Had a winning season for 40 years. 17 College World Series appearances. Uh, he is the all-time winningest coach in NCAA history for any sport, regardless. Really? Uh, yeah. Career record of 2,029 wins, 736 losses, and four ties somehow in baseball. That's a lot better than the G.I. Jake show and their gambling <laughs> records, I will say that. <laughs> they could learn something from old Mike Martin. 10-38 or 2,200 and 700. Big difference. <laughs> Big difference there. Um, How about that? So we got a lot of college baseball news. You got the SEC tournament changing. You got the passing of a legend. And then you had a a, a punishment handed down to the Alabama yeah, coach last yeah. year that, that, you know, had gotten in trouble with maybe the worst gambling scandal of all time. The NCAA gave him a 15-year show cause. Mm-hmm. And as a part of that 15-year show cause, if he is hired, 
he is suspended for five years. So basically, like, he's not ever getting a job again. Time to find a new profession. Yep. If you if you date, this is a much longer story that we can't get into. But if you dig into all that stuff, it's crazy. Oh yeah, I mean nothing I mean, nothing new came out in terms of of no new details came out yesterday during the announcement. But they got kind of rehashed of just like the text he had sent to his gambling buddy. Just how idiotic the operation was. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> hey, hurry up, go put this bet in because I gotta tell LSU soon. And then like the guy is quoted at the at the front desk at the gambling being. If you guys knew what I knew, you'd be all over this too. And I got inside info and just like the, all the things you don't say when you're gambling and doing something illegal. <laughs> hey, guys, I want to put $100,000 on this baseball game. They're like, uh, what? Trust me. If you knew what I knew, you'd put $100,000 on this. What? I, I do wonder what the relationship is between that guy and Brad Bohannon now. Because if I'm Brad Bohannon, I, I do think my life is ruined. I might just kill that guy. I, I might just, I might just go and kill him. You ruined my life. You're so dumb. I'm taking you down, and I'm going out too. I, I would say at some point he at least considered that. Maybe now he does. Maybe now he doesn't hold any uh, grudges. And maybe you said find a new profession. Maybe he'll have some connections in Tuscaloosa, or somebody will give him a job. Maybe. Fifteen year show costs. Oof. Oof. Um, some live golf news here, Bob, I know you were mentioning this a little bit in the break. Uh, the live tour is partnered with Google for any shot, any time. Uh, it's basically going to be, you know, just live shot tracking from Google. Uh, it should be a very, you know, interactive kind of thing here. They've got a bunch of 3d overviews, some kind of like virtual caddy views and stuff like that. It's going to be a very interactive experience. Well, wait, I know you've, will it be an actual before. like TV camera? Or like we we be able to actually watch it? Will be like pixelated three D like graphics like. A... No, it'll be video. Yeah. So you can go in and like yeah. actually see any shot of your favorite. Yeah, there's time. there's been a variation of this as has happened uh, in 2019. The Masters started doing this, um, uh, but then they delayed it. They put it on a slight delay where you could see every shot from the tournament through the Masters app. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the PGA Tour has done it with the Players Championship. Um, but that's been it, not for like the whole docket of matches and tournaments. And Liv is saying they're going to do it for every single tournament and for every single player. Yeah, yeah. And I and the thing is, for every player just do it for the top twenty. Yeah. Uh, they're saying every. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know yeah. if I need that. It seems like a well, little bit. Well, I'm not sure I'd still watch it even then because, we, again, Liv is not very watchable to me at the moment. But maybe that'll change my mind. I don't know. We'll see. But like I want to watch every shot like of of a John Rom tournament like of his tournament, but not yeah. the lower level guys I don't need those. They're fun. Yeah. All right. Good job by you, Sam. We'll catch a break. We'll come back. We'll talk some Tennessee, Kentucky. We'll check in with the enemy, Brandon Ramsey, Kentucky Sports Radio. Get the vibe from Lexington. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Welcome back to the morning show. You got Bob Baskerville here with John Reed. We are going to start to drill down on a very, very significant college basketball game for folks in uh, Big Orange Country, as well as, uh, I guess, in Big Blue Country up in Lexington. Vols and Wildcats tomorrow night, 830. Um, This game always matters. Feels a little even more intense this time. 
So we want to get the perspective from a guy who spends some time being a little closer to the Kentucky program than uh, us here in Knoxville. Brandon Ramsey is joining us. He uh, is a, a writer for Kentucky Sports Radio. He's a college basketball consultant and also um, he knows the game. Former assistant basketball coach at the D3 level at Defiance and Wabash. And um, Brandon, really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, Bob. Yeah, you bet. So let's talk about this. I know you, as a former coach, you've done your share of scouting. Give us a little bit of a, I guess, a self-scout on the team you cover, the Kentucky Wildcats. You know, we we know enough about our, our team in, in Knoxville, and um, we, we do know enough to know about, about Kentucky that they're talented for sure, but uh, a little bit up and down as of late. So I'd love to get your take on what you feel – is uh, happening in a good way for Kentucky? What's a cause for concern? How maybe does Tennessee present a cause for concern? Absolutely. Well, I, I think that especially coming out of Kentucky's loss on Wednesday to Florida, my primary takeaway with, with the Wildcats was that I think this team's just going to be pretty inconsistent because you have a team that is clearly – pretty darn elite offensively. I don't think there's much debate about that, especially compared to some recent Kentucky teams, but just compared to anybody in college basketball this year. There's a there's a lot of really good guards on Kentucky's team. Trey Mitchell gives you a different dynamic in the front court. You can really, really shoot the ball. They play fast, but don't turn it over. A lot of really good things offensively. And then you take everything I just said there and you kind of flip it on its head defensively because there just there isn't a whole lot to work with there. There's really no individual defender that I feel very comfortable with at this point in the season and teams' routine. Like what Kentucky does to opponents' defenses is exactly what opponents' offenses are doing to Kentucky at this point, kind of making everybody look like a world beater. Um, and, and that's concerning going into a game um, playing a team as good as Tennessee, obviously who was great defensively, um, but but certainly very good offensively as well. Um, so I, I think that's what you're going to get from Kentucky, games games where they can beat anybody in the country because of the offense and games where they can lose to just about anybody because they give up a ton of points. Yeah, I'm interested in a vibe check about from the Kentucky fan base because I do find myself reading through some of the replies – of Kentucky fans, whenever you guys at KSR, you know, tweet out the the final score or talk about the frustrations of a game, I I do find myself enjoying that. Is it as sure. bad as it seems? Because I've seen on, on the internet, it seems like a lot of people are done with Coach Calipari and are frustrated with his team. Is that the actual vibe day to day up in Lexington right now? Right. I mean, I I think, and you guys obviously know how this goes. I mean, I I think there's always a little bit of a very vocal majority when you play around on message boards or social media and you can kind of convince yourself that a a take or a, a, a viewpoint is probably a little bit bigger than it actually is. Now, I, I think the um, those feelings are maybe more widespread than than a given outsider might think, but, but no, I, I don't think that is representative necessarily of the entire fan base. Now, there are a lot of frustrations, and there's a lot of Kentucky fans that are just kind of ready for more success to happen. And, like, you know, any one or two of these data points from the last few years and this season included 
aren't necessarily so bad in a vacuum, but then you kind of add them all up and you realize, like, gosh, it's just been a while since we feel like things have gone like they're supposed to go. Um, so the, the, there certainly is growing frustration. I think the thing that helps is people just aesthetically like watching this team more than, than a couple of the more uh, recent teams. So even given a um, some a couple of losses, I think te- uh, people do at least enjoy watching this team a little more. What has been the difference in the recent run for Kentucky? Because it hasn't lived up to the expectations that were set. Calipari hasn't had the big success that he, you know, he had for, you know, basically the entire career leading up to Kentucky. And then of course the first decade at Kentucky, from my perspective, it's always kind of, I've kind of thought of it as maybe a drop in the top end talent. You know, you go from, from John Wall and Anthony Davis to, you know, some guys that are you know, six and seven range, like Jamal Murray and, and Shaq Gilgis. And then now, you know, the last handful of years, when you look at actual NBA talent, the guys are more in the lottery or late lottery or just into the first round. Is it just a, a drop-off in that NBA talent, or is it just uh, the rest of college bas- basketball catching up? Is it more of uh, seniors and upperclassmen transferring around and the transfer portal era is kind of, you know, kind of eclipsed the one-and-done era? What do you give the biggest – blame to for the for the recent slip for Calipari yeah I I think it's it's definitely twofold and you touched on the two points there of of it being certainly that Kentucky went through a you know probably call it a five-year stretch now or is going through a five-year stretch now of not necessarily having as you said those top end surefire lottery pick top five sort of guys and there was just a little bit of a drop off in terms of the true blue chip talent and then you then you couple that with a just an overall rise of talent level veteran talent level of college basketball due to transfer portal nil different things like that where you just saw some parity increase across college basketball at the same time as kentucky's top end talent level dipped a little bit so you're just going to, you know, it's just going to be a much more level playing field than it was when Coach Calipari was just hoarding all of the best players coming out of high school. And I, and I think that going into this year, that was where some of the excitement, and, and, and still where some of the excitement lies, is like, you know, I, I know the 2024 draft class is, is, is very down, but Kentucky still has a couple guys projected to go in the lottery, still has a couple more guys projected to potentially be first-round picks. So – there is a return to some of that top talent, but now you're kind of starting to see like, well, if it's, if it's all freshmen in, in this day and age in college basketball, is, is that, is that the recipe? Um, because some of these teams just have more older guys. Uh, but, but yes, overall, I think it is, it is the twofold answer of college basketball kind of catching up from a talent standpoint coincided with kind of a dip of blue chip talent in Lexington. We're here with uh, Brandon Ramsey from uh, Kentucky Sports Radio, KSR. Brandon, getting back to the game tomorrow night, uh, we noticed in the Florida game that uh, two key players on the team, DJ Wagner and Justin Edwards, did not play due to injury. Um, what's what's their status? And then my second question to you would also be uh, at least our interpretation of uh, Reed Shepard, we we have a lot of admiration for him as a player, a lot of respect. 
feels like he's a bit of an urban legend up in Lexington. I mean, is 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 that a proper read that the fan base is just like like he's one of the most beloved Kentucky players that's come in there recently and maybe that's because of the the lineage with his mom and dad having played there, et cetera. I'd love your thoughts on that too. Yeah, so as it pertains to to Justin Edwards and DJ Wagner, I think that's very much a a day-to-day situation. Um, Quite frankly, neither one of them were expected to miss the the last game and kind of found out right before the game that that neither one would be going. Um, Justin Edwards, the game prior against Arkansas, um, was removed from the starting lineup with a little bit of a leg issue but still played um, and then obviously didn't. The last time out, the DJ Wagner thing a little bit kind of came out of left field. He's he's had some nagging ankle stuff um, really since since what kept him out of the UNC Wilmington game uh, way back uh, almost a couple months ago now. Um, but I, I think both of those are very much you know going to be determined over the next 24 to 36 hours uh, going in to game time. Um, but yeah, with Reed Shepard, I think. I think Irvin Legend is a, is a good way of putting it because yes, I think that, um, that that there are a lot of people who probably are as excited about Reed Shepard helping Kentucky basketball as they've been about any player in recent memory, and I think a lot of that comes comes down to the fact that uh, a lot of people of a certain age can remember watching his parents play college basketball, and especially with the similarities to which he plays um, like his parents, and you know sometimes it's almost eerie where you can pull up a picture or a clip of his dad going and dunking the basketball at one of these SEC venues, and you're like, oh, man, that's exactly what Reed Shepard just did. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the, the, the way he plays, the way he goes about the game, and then obviously w- with him, too, just being even better than anybody could have possibly imagined, I think that just added to the kind of mystique and the aura of the Reed Shepard experience at, at Kentucky. Tennessee and Kentucky this weekend took a little bit hit, took a little bit of a hit. So, you know, both teams losing this week, SEC championship race, you know, not as fierce and ferocious, but the individual competition between Antonio Reeves, my producer's favorite player and Dalton connect is still there and heating up SEC player of the year on the line. How do you see that? Do you see that as Antonio Reeves being neck and neck with connect do you think he should be considered ahead of him? Because I got Connect way ahead of Reeves at this point. Um, I I think that probably you're going to see it come down to, and probably the way it should come down to it, honestly, is just going to be the, the conference standings and who has more success as a team. I think it, it's hard to differentiate them very much from a statistical standpoint. Um, I, I do think, I, I, I will admit this, minute, to the extent that it matters, like if I'm a – NBA scout or anything like that. I'm much more interested in Dalton Connect. He's just sure. much bigger and more physical. Um, but what the, the improvements that Antonio Reeves have made this season have just been outstanding. I mean, how, how much better he is inside of the arc, becoming a true pure scorer as opposed to just like, he, he went from being one of the best shooters in college basketball to one of the best scorers in college basketball in like a six month span. And that's that's pretty darn impressive, and I think that we're going to see um, how things play out. Obviously, these these two teams are you know, going to be neck and neck, most likely, towards the top of the conference for for much of the season. And I think you'll probably you know be in a situation where if one of these two guys is on the team that wins the league, well, it's going to be really hard to not 
vote that player as SEC Player of the Year. Um, now, I also think that both of them going into this game would be very happy to give that up in order to get a win tomorrow, <laughs> and then and then later again in uh, uh, later in the month uh, when we'll, when we uh, go at it again. But um, but yeah, I, I think these two are the are the favorites. They're both having outstanding seasons. Both obviously playing for teams that are competing for a lot um, in the SEC and NCAA um, picture as well. Yeah, I know we're talking basketball, but I got to ask you about the breaking news that's just coming across the board <laughs> as Kentucky offensive coordinator Liam Cohen set to head to the NFL, leaving again after just returning to Kentucky the year before. Yeah, um, it, it's frustrating. You know, it. I I think that as a former coach myself. I probably give him a little bit more um, leeway than some. I mean, I remember the, the the very first job I ever took in coaching, I left before I ever even moved to the place, um, and, and, and took a and took a different job because I got a better opportunity. So I I, I kind of know how that works. Um, you know, he I think there were some promises made to some extent that he would be in Lexington longer this time around, and it didn't happen. Um, so I can understand why folks would be really upset. I mean, heck, Kentucky has a huge junior day recruiting event tomorrow. Uh, so, you know, it couldn't really be worse timing, but it is what it is. It's a difficult profession and Kentucky will hire somebody else to fill his shoes. It'll, it, it'll be okay, but it is, it is frustrating for sure. Yeah. It seems like he, looking at his resume, it seems like he likes to move around a lot. It seems like he likes to bounce around and take a bunch of different jobs. Also got to ask about Tennessee transfer Gerald Mincy. Uh, how has he been received by Kentucky fans? Because he is definitely uh, stoke, stroking the flames here and trying to, you know, kind of make that rivalry uh, seem a bit more like a rivalry, at least from the Kentucky's perspective. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Kentucky fans are, you know, certainly, you know, um, excited to have him, and and I think we're gonna we're gonna see, you know, the the blue and orange get after it in the fall, just like they always do. Um, but 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 yeah, I think in, you know. Kentucky fans don't don't usually need a whole lot of help to, um, as you said, stoke the flames and and get some some hatred riled up the orange. Hey Brandon, as we uh, head out here, um, really appreciate your time and insight too. Got to ask because we kind of go back and forth on this. We uh, a couple of us here in the booth were so impressed with uh, Big Z's performance. Uh, against Georgia right out of the gate. And then, you know, I was I was extolling the virtues, and I still think the kid's talented, but he's kind of vanished since that game. Uh, any any quick thoughts as we wrap up on, you know, what do you think Cal's plan is with him? Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of people kind of have that question after he couldn't have possibly had a better first game of college basketball and then, has, you know, b- b- certainly been – um, more of a non-factor the last few games, but some of that's coincided with Ugan Onion, so sort of commanding some minutes at the five, and, and when you have Aaron Bradshaw, who's probably going to play a certain amount of minutes going forward as well, um, there's just not a whole lot left over for Big Z. I think he's going to continue to get some run, and you're going to see, it's going to be a situation where if he comes in and makes a couple shots in his first rotation, then you're going to see him play 10 to 12 minutes. Um, if he comes in and doesn't necessarily um, get anything accomplished, then that might be it for him on a on a game to game basis. But you know, when you have three seven footers, it's hard to necessarily get them all in there. You're going to kind of be riding the hot hand a little bit. 
um, but he certainly does um, open up some opportunities offensively that the other guys uh, don't really give Kentucky at this point. Brandon, again, thank you, man. Really appreciate the time. Um, you can follow Brandon. Uh, what's your handle on Twitter real quick? Yeah, you, uh, you can find me on Twitter at KSR. Excellent. And I would say good luck tomorrow night, but, uh, you know, at that point we're not friends. So, uh, <laughs> no. Right, fair enough. Nah, nah, I hear you. But, hey, 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 again, thank you for the time. Thank you for the insight. It's helpful. And uh, let's see. Hopefully we've, we've got a great game tomorrow night. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot. Uh, anytime, Bob. See you, man. All right, Sam, wrap it up. Send us to break. We'll grab stats by Will coming up from a Tennessee perspective after the break. Anything you learned, Bob, from that interview? The Liam Cohen stuff, huh? it's funny that it came out basically eight minutes ago Yeah. when I asked that question. It just happened, so it was kind of breaking news. It seems like a big loss for Kentucky football. You know, the basketball stuff, I, I think, is all – we know that our opponents, you know, like everything he said. Yeah. We, we kind of – you know, the lack of – you know, the, the drop-off in talent, you know, for Cal's kind of decline, the the team being really good offensively and fun to watch and, and not so great on defense. I mean, we we kind of know that. But the, the pain from their offensive coordinator leaving was actually a little bit nice to hear live. <laughs> no, it was a good aha moment, too, about – Gotcha. Know, yeah, and – uh yeah, I was hoping to learn a little more about these guys that sat out uh, Wednesday because they represent about 20 points a game. And, you know, of course, Cal's could probably play that close to the vest, but it'd be be great if they weren't – if Edwards and Wagner weren't playing again tomorrow night. We'll I think see. that was kind of a rest thing, honestly. You that was so? like a Cal NBA type of, like, load management type deal or something like that. Maybe like a lingering energy – Injury that they might just want to save them till to try Saturday, to get them from but like eighty five percent back to like ninety five percent or a hundred, like the one yeah. game off. I don't know. Yeah, well, it backfired. It backfired for sure. It Absolutely. backfired if that's the case. <laughs> All right, we'll talk with stats by Will after the break. We'll do a Tennessee Kentucky preview from the Tennessee and the number side. Sig with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Ever- Back on the program, let's get to the phone lines. Let's bring on my friend, Stats by Will, the best college basketball writer in Tennessee. William, how are you today? Doing well. It's sunny, I think. It's uh, nice outside. I've overcome my uh, harrowing Sunday Mm. for the most part. I've Mm. gotten over it, I think. 24-7 to at halftime. That was well. I, I don't remember. I told you or told somebody, but that was the one scenario before the game where it's like, okay, I'll actually be mad if they lose in this way. So of course they did. Yeah, but yeah, I talked about hard, that on Monday. To, to go from house it's hard money, to be, like, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say to go from house money to having your heart broken and blowing that lead. That's the only way you could have been sad. That's the only way they could have broke your heart. So of course that's what happens. Yeah, yeah of course that's what happened. But you play it like this, so you think. All right, Lions, they won two games more than I would have expected. Michigan, two games more than I would have expected. Tennessee basketball, two games more than you would have expected. They're in the national title game. Think of it that way, the the season of will. Okay, so instead of an Elite Eight, you win those two extra games and you make it to the national championship. I like the way you're thinking. 
Before we get to Tennessee, Kentucky, I, I am interested in the fallout from Detroit. Just from your perspective, a guy who is analytical, a guy who does look at the stats and the process more than the result, because I try to do that myself. And, you know, coming out of the Detroit game, everyone was second-guessing Dan Campbell's decisions to to bypass field goals, to go for fourth downs, you know, blaming him for the loss. And the numbers bore out that those were the correct decisions. It's just that the results didn't play out that way. How is a guy that is analytical, that does try to focus on the process, and then, of course, you get the game against South Carolina where Tennessee is getting open shots and doing the things you need to to be a good offensive team and just simply not making the shots, which is kind of a rinse and repeat from Tennessee's failures in March. Like, How do you handle that whenever you're actually like trying to analyze the game and, and do previews and do recaps and think about the state of a basketball team? Tough line to thread, you know? I mean, it's because uh, you're a fan first, so you know, you're living and dying with each play or each you know shot or whatever and in the moment like was I annoyed that Tennessee was like I think the the one that kind of more than the Estrella mistunk or whatever that sort of summed up that it's just not your night was Vescovy wide open three from the wing air ball you know that's the one where you're just like all right well this is it is what it is it's just not happening but you know you run into those games from time to time like the example I always like to use is the best offense I've ever seen in college hoops, Villanova, lost three of four during their title run to some pretty bad Big East competition. I mean, it just, college basketball, weird stuff happens from time to time. Um, and largely, like, I didn't hate Tennessee's shots on a Tuesday night. I was actually more concerned about their defense. I thought South Carolina probably should have scored a few more points than they got. Uh, they got some more open looks than I was personally anticipating them to get. But, yeah, I mean, analytically, I think in the moment I'm, I can be a little more, you know, results-oriented, but I usually will try and go back the day after with a clear mind and watch, like, you know, a 30-minute speed run of the game to sort of feel it out and say, like, oh, that was a good look. It just didn't go down. Yeah, kind of the last thing about South Carolina, then we'll look at Kentucky, but what did you – see when you rewatch the game and you're doing your preview and you're looking at what Tennessee did, what did you see defensively? Because it did seem like Tennessee gave up a lot of open threes. Hey, Will, and uh, this is Bob, if we can, if I can dovetail on that question too, is we've been going back and forth on this. We feel like South Carolina's a good team, but there's such a hard watch. I mean, I'd love to, you know, through your statistical brain or quantitative brain how, how how do you think they stack up as far as a team that has any prospects for march etc well first question here for you know how did they get those open shots i think the, the same sort of through line for attacking tennessee exists regardless of opponent where and we see this mentioned on the broadcast a lot of if you can get to the paint and force those backside threes because tennessee does collapse down especially if adu or the center gets out of position if you can you know, shift the floor enough and move the ball well enough. And, you know, frankly, Tennessee's defense is so good that a lot of teams cannot. South Carolina came in with the right strategy of we're going to attempt 33s and see what happens. I think that is the way to beat Tennessee if you don't have a talent advantage. And if you can get those backside threes off in the corner especially, you've got a better chance of those being open. But, again, easier said than done. They did a good job of it, came in with the right strategy, I did not think Michi Johnson played well at all, to be honest. 
but he had a couple good passes late to you know elevate his numbers a bit. And you know it helps when Cooper and Miles Studi, who I truly cannot wait to see graduate from college after seven years, uh, those guys go a combined seven of eight from three. So you know part of it's luck, but part of it was the skill of just getting those good looks in the first place. Carolina for March, I, I do. I think you know they had a solid offensive game on Tuesday. I didn't think it was great, but they were they got a over the finish line. Obviously, they struggled to get easy twos. I've noticed you know you saw them kind of hunt the miss the the uh, advantage a little bit with B.J. Mack in the post, but they still went 0 for 9 on mid range twos in that game. You know it wasn't a great plan. Uh, we, we've seen some teams like that go deep before. But I, I think their goal realistically should be, hey, let's get in the tournament, let's win a game, let's see what happens. Because, you know, looking at them right now, I think they're capable of winning one game. I don't think they can win two-plus with that offense. Stats by Will. Subscribe to the Substack. Get your game previews. Will, what do you see whenever you look at this Kentucky team? What's the best way for Tennessee to attack them? Uh, put the ball in connect fans. <laughs> I think it's that simple, honestly. I mean, you look up and down the Kentucky roster, and I think team defense can kind of get overblown a little bit in college basketball because athletes are athletes. If they lock in, they can, you know, you can get a ball stopper out there, and he can have a really good game. We kind of saw that when Tennessee used to play those bad Will Wade defenses where the athleticism was such a big advantage in LSU's favor they still had the guys to stop you if they locked in. The problem with Kentucky is they don't have a wing that you can point to as that's your ball stopper because Antonio Reeves, not a good defender whatsoever. Reed Shepard, good defender, but a bit too small. He's 6'2 and connects, you know, 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, I thought Shepard uh, particularly got lost a lot against Florida, uh, you know, on yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, Shepard like was he gave pretty a bunch of those brutal pointers. down the stretch. Yeah. And it's a, it's never a good sign when – you know, analytically, your best defenders are all seven feet or taller. So, like, Trey Mitchell grades out okay, but the best guys are Onyenso, the tall center, and then Big Z, who's accomplished his numbers in very limited minutes. So, you don't really have a wing or a guard on that team that stops somebody getting to the rim. And then if they get to the rim, like, yeah, you might block the shot still. Kentucky's been good at that, but Kentucky's foul rate is also a lot higher than it's you know, than we've been used to over the years. So I, I struggle to see, one, where this Kentucky defense turns it around going forward unless they get really lucky on teams missing threes. And two, you know, especially for Saturday night, can you stop a drive to the rim, not only from connect, but if Ziegler gets downhill, can you stop that kickout pass? If Adu gets good post positioning, can you stop him from getting fouled? You know, they... They have a lot of answers offensively, but I don't see those same answers on defense. That was going to be one of my questions. You mentioned Onyenso, and uh, we, we had Coach Greg Polinski on yesterday, and we talked a little about him as well. Um, clearly he's gotten meaningful minutes the last couple of games against Arkansas and then Florida, and in that Florida game, you know, eight blocked shots, which is just kind of uh, <laughs> it's a little bit otherworldly. It doesn't happen every game, but this guy is – clearly the one version of a rim protector that Kentucky has shown but do you you know to your point their defensive weaknesses are really clear but do you think that changes things a little when you have someone like connect who does like to we as we use the term go downhill and try to do a lot go into the basket um, 
do you feel that that poses uh, an additional threat that maybe some of these other teams haven't had that Tennessee's faced? Yeah, well, I think I think that's going to be it's going to be really hard for Kentucky to stop that. Just you know, Onyenso's there. He's going to you know I think he's going to get a few blocks this game as long as he stays out of foul trouble. I wouldn't be shocked if they gave Big Z a few minutes, though. I I noticed you know after that initial explosion against Georgia, he played two minutes against Arkansas, six against Florida. I think the uh, the honeymoon might be over there, but. The, the point is more, you know, like, yeah, you can block some shots at the rim, but if Onyenso starts overplaying the drives, you're going to have a kickout open. You're going to have a do in the dunker spot open. You're going to have some options here, and I, I think that's such a key problem for Kentucky is, you know, maybe you can stop one thing. Can you stop the second thing or the third thing that Tennessee is capable of doing? And, you know, people are probably going to be a little down heading into this game based on Tuesday's performance. I would say, you know, that is really the first what I would call poor offensive game since Maui. Like, I I mean, you can look at Tarleton State and say maybe, but Tarleton State was also the last game before the Christmas break. I think Tennessee played the precise amount of basketball they had to to get over the finish line in that game. This is a, an offense with more answers than we've seen in a while for Tennessee. And uh, I don't know. I, I look at this in... You know, if a worse version of this offense in Florida just shredded Kentucky for 45 minutes, it's kind of hard to not see Tennessee getting theirs in this game. Yeah, it seems like the perfect get-right opportunity for Tennessee because, A, after a disappointing loss, you don't want to play the LSUs of the world where the wins don't really matter and you're just kind of waiting for a big game. You're immediately back on the court against your biggest rival, on the road, a win would be a big statement. And quite frankly, at the beginning of the week, I think most Tennessee fans would have locked in a loss to South Carolina and a win at Rupp Arena. So I think you'd be in a good position coming out of the week, or at least an acceptable position. And then, of course, matchup-wise, your offense did finally struggle, but it is a get-right opportunity against a really bad defense or a, a defense that's not active and, and locked down, of course. Have you lost confidence in the other players not named Dalton Connect? Have you, you know, looked at a couple of them and said, hey, are you actually the guy you showed you where, Jonas Adu, or are you the guy that's going to miss bunnies and not catch the ball and can't be relied upon? What's your level of confidence in those players not named Dalton Connect offensively? I feel fine still about Adu, and honestly, I'm starting to feel better about Vescovy. I think, you know, he missed that key three on Tuesday, but – He's been efficient this year. He's starting to come around. I think he scored double digits in three straight games. Ziggler, I mean, we've seen this. Ziggler doesn't really let these things get to him. He's going to shoot his shots no matter what he played like last time out. The the one guy that I think everybody's worried about correctly is Josiah. Um, just, I mean, you've seen the stats. The SEC performance has been horrific to the point of, uh, I mean, I'm having a hard time here on the call thinking of a six-game stretch in SEC play in his career that's been less effective offensively. And I mean, like, maybe there's a time in his freshman year where he was worse, but that's not good when you're a fifth-year senior and you're having to go back to the freshman year to find a, a six-game stretch of worse performance. So th this is like, you hate to say that game seven is the come-to-Jesus game, but Really, for me, if you can't show it now against this Kentucky defense, Meshack probably should be starting going forward. 
do you buy into the concerns that this offense has become too heliocentric around Dalton Connect and that it's hurting the other players offensively? Kind of, but like at the same time, not really. I mean, we've seen heliocentric offenses work just fine at other schools. It's obviously more of an NBA thing than college, but I mean, you take it to the women's side. We've seen this work just fine with Caitlin Clark. And with Dalton, I think you have, I mean, arguably the very best pure scorer in the game right now on your team. Why wouldn't you feed him nonstop? And when he's creating the way he is both for himself and for others, I think you keep that going until somebody presents a real plan to say no. Do you think that, going back to Kentucky for tomorrow night, do you think that uh, we were talking about this in the segment before with uh, someone from Kentucky Sports Radio, and that was trying to understand the on Wednesday, Justin Edwards and DJ Wagner did not play. Now, we are clearly aware of their defensive shortcomings, but if those two guys happen to not play tomorrow night, does that just make your your position on what Tennessee can do even more profound? I mean, obviously they lose offense there, but is it just that simple? It's just still, you know, it's a bad defensive team, and if they have less offensive weapons, then it just stands to reason they're just not – they're, they're going to be even more beatable. Is there is there any position on that? Well, maybe. I, I don't think it really affects them defensively because neither is a good defender. Uh, you know, it, Wagner has shown a little. Edwards has shown a little. But both have regraded out very poorly on the defensive end. So uh, I would think more so it's an offensive, you know, hit for them where, you know, for all of his faults as a shooter, Wagner can get to the rim very well there pretty decently. Edwards struggling to shoot, but same thing, gets to the rim very well, great vertical athlete, kind of hard to defend without fouling. So that that helps Tennessee, I think, more defensively than it would for them on offense. All right, a couple questions on the way out. Appreciate your time as always. Stats by Will, Will Warren, my dear friend, and like I said, the best college basketball writer in the South and the best person covering the Tennessee basketball team. First question, how many points does Tennessee need on Saturday night to beat Kentucky? 80-plus, at least, I think. Because, you know, for all their faults, and I do think this Kentucky offense might it, – it's probably reached peak value for me because I just truly do not believe they're going to shoot 40% from three the rest of the way. This is still at rep. You know, for better or for worse, you know what that means. you got to deal with the rest. And this is not just a rep thing. This is – Life on the road in the SEC, you got to deal with some unfortunate calls. So I think 80-plus points, that's my barrier. If you get to 80-plus, the offense has done its job. Okay, my, my next question was going to be, what is your main key to the game? Is it just getting to 80 points, or is there something tactically or matchup-wise you're looking for? Well, I, I think, honestly, it, it's sort of a similar strategy to the Alabama game where – okay, you know, we see that 40% number. Let's see what you can do inside the perimeter. Can Kentucky hit mid-range twos over and over the way they have this season? They're sitting at 44% on those, but you think about it point per shot, you'd rather have them take a 44% mid-range jumper than a 40% three. Run them off the line, run them to that 10 to 15 foot mark, and let's see what happens. Okay, out the door. Will, you and I talked a little about this in advance. This is a team that's kind of become a little bit of a uh, 
a cult favorite for folks like Sam and myself oh, and God, Jordan here Moore. We go. Let's go. <laughs> you talk about shooting 40% from three. There's a team I know who's starting five shoots in excess of 40% from three-point range. It's Indiana State. They are a fun watch, dangerous team come tournament time. Uh, I think you've been paying attention to them as well, um, along with, uh, not for nothing, College Jokic, as they call him, Robbie Avila. Um, any any quick thoughts out the door on them as we jump off Tennessee into uh, another interesting team? Well, if you still got an athletic subscription, I strongly recommend C.J. Moore's piece on Josh Schertz great. Uh, from yeah. this, earlier this week. Terrific guy. I, uh, I talked to him when he was at Lincoln Memorial a few years ago, but really good dude. Uh, the way Indiana State plays is league pass ready, I would say. They obviously make a lot of shots, but, you know, perfect shot selection mostly. The defense is also pretty exciting to watch, too, even if they give up some easy buckets. So uh, if you got nothing to do uh, prior to the U.K. game Saturday night, Indiana State Drake uh, at 6 p.m. is going to be a good watch. All right, Will. You sounded happier talking about Indiana State than you did Tennessee, though, to be honest. So, stats by Will. Subscribe to his Substack. Follow him on X. Read his writing. Become smarter when it comes to college basketball. Appreciate you, buddy. Talk to you next week. Have a good weekend. Thanks for having me on. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. We'll we'll dive into some Tennessee basketball even further. Nine twenty. We'll do some gambling with a what? What are you calling this, Bob? The the Gambling getaway, the betaway, the gambling betaway, the weekend, weekend betaway. There weekend we go. Betaway. I found it. The weekend betaway with Eli Herskovich coming up at 920. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.